As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show. Sticky toffee performance, the lads underwhelm at Goodison. Saint and Kiwi, Newcastle's attacking options under discussion. And stats prove that Joe Linton is the best midfielder in the world. And that, my friends, is a fact. Yes, hello again. This is Pod on the Tyne. I am Taylor Payne and I'm joined by the Athletics' Newcastle United correspondent, Mr Chris Woff. Chris, how the devil are you? Are you all right? I'm alright, thank you. Yeah, I was. I think I was ready for this international break, just like Newcastle United and Eddie Howe seemed to be ready for this international break. I needed needed this, needed the three three away games in eight days after that long run was just just something that we needed. So yeah, uh, feeling a bit feeling like I'm going to be refreshed after this fortnight. How are you doing? I'm alright. It's been an absolute grueler, hasn't it, the last few weeks? I mean, it, it just feels like football hasn't stopped for a minute, and we haven't stopped for a minute as well. But uh, yeah, me and you on flying solo. Isn't no? You can't be flying solo off this tour, you can you? No, but that doesn't make sense. Flying duo, I don't know. That's not even duo. a thing. But the thing is, you know, as 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 George said the other week, he's he's a winner, and now Newcastle United have lost back to back matches. He's just sacked off, put on the tank. That's him done. It's <laughs> finally all got too much for him, and he's gone. In tandem, I think Chris is probably a better saying than flying solo or duo. There we go. And it is only right at this point that we say hello to our absolute favourite, Sir Bobby Robson, charity runner. Uh, so well done, and a hearty congratulations to. 
five-year-old Parker Rain, who ran all the way around St James's Park and nearly hit three times his fundraising target. Well done, son. Lovely, lovely work. And he got a cracking little tweet off the uh, Sir Bobby Robson Foundation as well. Apparently Lady Elsie was very touched when she heard about Parker's run. Lovely stuff. Great to see that. And of course... Well done to George as well for all his jogging and that that he does. Oh, I've done another half marathon. Wait, oh, God. Look at me and me legs. Ooh, that work. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so before we crack on, just enough time to tell you that you can subscribe to The Athletic now and get your first six months at just £1 a month. What value is that? Uh, go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and you get full access to all the great writing and analysis as well as ad-free versions of all of the Athletic's podcasts including this very one you are listening to now. Uh, so make your way to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and sign up now for six months at just £1 a month. What are you waiting for? Get it done. So Chris... Newcastle United faced Everton on St. Patrick's Day of all days. I can't remember there ever been a game of football on a St. Patrick's Day before, and I'm sure there has been, but I don't remember one. No, well, I actually travelled to the game with BBC Newcastle's Matthew Raysback and John Anderson, former uh, Republic oh. of Ireland National. He was fuming about the fact that it was uh, St. Patrick's Day. He was desperate for oh. a pint against all the way across. Is like his sister was sending pictures of it. She lives in Ireland, sending various different bits <laughs> of her sitting in a pub with with a Guinness, and, and we were we were going across uh, down the M6 ready to go for the game. So he was not a particularly happy bunny. Oh, but he was livid. Chris, I was actually also quite disgruntled that night because I had to work in Sunderland. So I didn't get to see the game. Well, I got to see the second half, but I didn't get to see the first half because I was in Sunderland working, which is, you know, one of those things, isn't it? But yeah, but a bit of a disappointing turnout in the end, a bit of a disappointing result. Newcastle seemed to kind of dominate the first 20, 30 minutes. They got stuck in a little bit and and, and we thought, you know, the Everton... Uh, uh, confidence has been low recently and it, it felt like points were there for the taking but I mean how disappointed are we with this result it wasn't great was it I think I was more disappointed with the fact that I thought the game was never going to end it, like, <laughs> when, it was when, a the, 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 awful <laughs> game of football wasn't it let's just get that out there early and when 40 so minutes bad. went up on that and actually went longer than 40 minutes I yeah. think on about 16 or 70 minutes it was just like oh my god this really is never going to end but I mean first half I thought that Newcastle Dominated, not in the sense that they had loads of goal-scoring opportunities. They had a couple of chances where Tepro possibly could have scored from, had a decent few decent set pieces. But Everton were awful, and particularly yeah. when they get into the final third. They were terrible. And they just seemed clueless in terms of what they were doing. And you could see their lack confidence and really lack the sort of ide- an identity really at the moment. And Newcastle were comfortable. I thought they'd taken the sting out of the game early on. It was a, it was obviously going to be a fast start from. Everton, the the crowd really stuck with them. Actually, the Goodison Park crowd. I know, I know, a lot of Newcastle fans took the mick about all the scary sirens and all the things. It was going to be there before the game, but actually, the atmosphere was very, very good, and then the fans did did sort of, I think, get Everton through that in the end. But yeah, for, for so by half time, you thought Newcastle. If there's one team who's going to win this, it's probably going to be, be Newcastle. But it was sort of, you could see it being nil nil at that point. But second half. Newcastle really never got the rhythm, and certainly once there was the bizarre stoppage, which we'll, we'll get on in a second, uh, of the game, Newcastle just never got going after that, and I don't think they ever got, got that grasp of the game back. Joe Linton looked like a player who, who had been carrying an injury and hadn't got back. I didn't think he was quite as dominant as he had been. Joe Willock looked like somewhat, didn't look fully fit either. Obviously, he'd missed games through illness, and the midfield sort of lost control a little bit second half, and Newcastle lost their way. And so, yeah, it was 
disappointing, but I also think it was just Newcastle had come to what was a very long run of fixtures, three away games in a week, and I think they were mentally and physically fatigued by the end of that match, and really it was probably just 45 minutes too far, 55 minutes, however long the game went on for, too far for them. It was a dreadful, dreadful game of football, wasn't it? And I mean, your man who cable-tied himself to the goalposts, his punishment was actually he was made to sit and watch the rest of the game. That was... <laughs> It was absolutely shocking. What? Just, just on, just on that. Go on. I, I mean, it, it happened so quickly. I've never seen anything like it. it, it Eddie, Eddie House, Eddie House said from the touchline, he'd never seen anything like it. But to be able to cable tie around you, and, I mean, it's quite impressive that he did that that quickly. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that people should do that, but to be able to, it's not the easiest place to be able to get a sort of. That was what was so astonishing. We, when the press box, were getting the sort of pictures, and and in the Everton press box, you've only got like a couple of. You don't have in a lot of the press boxes. You have sort of little screens so you can see replays. In the Everton press box, you have like one TV screen to your right, so every journalist looking, and you have all the fans sort of sitting in front of the stand who are looking back. Oh, what what's happening on the screen there? What's what's going on there, son? And it's like. Well, I have no idea what's going on, and and obviously it was uh, then the, the the images of the guy with the with the with the cutters trying to get it was just the biggest set of ball cutters you have ever seen in your life. I don't know what they cut with that. It was just looked ridiculous. I feared for the poor lad on the post I when I saw those come out. I thought even I think it was Alan Shearer was doing uh, core comms for Amazon Prime. I was watching the game on, and he was like. What are they doing with those? It was just absolutely ridiculous. But I mean, you know, the lad was trying to make a point. Um, he's had his point heard, uh, and he's and you know whether you agree with the the manner in which he's done it or not. I kind of have to kind of hold my hands up and say, hey, you know what, mate? Fair enough. You made your point. It's like you know you got people talking about what the issue was and stuff like that. But it did properly throw the rhythm of the game off, didn't it? It, it was one of those things where when the board went up and it said fourteen minutes, I thought. Do we have to? Can we not just can we not just call this a draw now and just go home? It's pathetic. It's really bad. I think everyone had that collective feeling. Even <laughs> even I, I even got the impression from Everton fans who obviously the new it was it was so important that they won that match and so really they wanted more. Even a lot of them I thought I think thought oh, this game's just gonna drift off into nothingness and unfortunately obviously that wasn't the case in the end so that was frustrating from Newcastle point of view. I mean, like, like Crystal Palace in the FA Cup uh, this week as well. We dominated the game in a lot of a lot of the spells, but we didn't score like they did, um, and it, we didn't really look like scoring that much, did we? I mean, the the chances were few and far between. Chris Wood had a couple of headers in that first half, and a few little bits and pieces were floating around, but there wasn't anything like a, a clear cut opportunity. And and as the longer the game went on, like I say, I thought we thought well, it's just going to end up as a draw, but then you know after the red card, suddenly. Newcastle should have their tails up and they should be going at Everton a bit more, you know. And it felt like it just felt so inevitable that that goal was going to come, didn't it? It was it was a, a shocking uh, a shocking bit of play, and, and and they kind of just carved us open. Yeah, unlike the Brentford game when Newcastle were up against ten men and managed that really well, spread the spread the play, got it wide. They didn't have that same sort of. Uh, incisiveness I didn't think in the play when they were to go down 10 they almost looked a bit confused as to, as to what to do with it and it really also I think that galvanised the crowd as well because there was a sense of injustice from the from the Everton fans and I think that that gave them an additional push as well the, 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 what we've got to remember with Newcastle is what, what really has been so impressive throughout the run is that they've done it without at least four, three or four first choice players. Yeah, I mean, obviously yeah. there was no Kieran Trippier again, no Callum Wilson, no Alan Sat Maximan from the start, um, and I think that that eventually that told we. That, 
we said at the end of the January window, where was the one position they were probably still late? And it was it was offensively, we thought they could have done with someone like Jesse Lingard or Hugo Ekatike, someone who could give them something different, that attacking impetus. And they lacked that. They, they lacked that sort of... Cre- and really, actually, in the last few matches, they've lacked that. They've managed to get through them, but they didn't create shed loads of opportunities against Southampton. They were very good at Chelsea without creating tons of clear-cut opportunities. Even Brighton at home, they didn't have loads of clear-cut opportunities. So we know where Newcastle are lacking. And unfortunately, against Everton, they just didn't create enough, really, to... to, to to, to have got the win they didn't deserve to lose I didn't think really on the on the balance of play I think a draw was a fair result but they didn't really do enough to to have won it of their own accord either in an offensive sense what was your thoughts on the red card because it was quite controversial at the time and and in in full speed I didn't think it was a red card to be honest at full speed but then when you say it slowed down you realize how far off the ground he is and he's kind of gone with two feet and if some maximan's foot's planted it, it's a potential leg breaker isn't it so it's a really bad challenge but it's almost like there was a hundred other ways that Alan could have brought Alan Samaxman down and he chose that way which was the way that was going to get him a red card it was a strange one was I, well, I was in the house press conference after the match and he was actually asked um, by, I think, a journalist who was almost in autopilot basically saying, did you have any complaints about the red card? And how was that? Well, what do you mean, did I have any complaints? It wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't my player. <laughs> but but that, he and Howe himself said in real time he didn't immediately see it and think that's a, that should be a red card. Slowed down, it, it does look worse and I do think he endangers uh, Sam Maximan. I'd... I think I was surprised it was upgraded. I would have thought that if it had, I was. if he'd given a red card, I don't think it should have been downgraded. But I'm not necessarily sure it was it was one way. Thought that definitely has to be upgraded. The fact that he he pulled it back for it. So yeah, I can see by the letter of the law why it probably was, and it was it, it was rash in many ways, and it's cynical. And 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 I know that some people make the argument that cynical tackles like that should have an orange card or a red card of their own accord, because essentially what he's trying to do is just stop a counter attack. But I didn't think it. I didn't think it was a really horrendous tackle. I know some people are saying he could have injured him, and he could have done. But I don't think it was. I don't think it was the the worst tackle I've ever seen by any stretch. But it was. So it was. I was surprised when it was upgraded. It, it was an interesting one, and, and like like we said already, it looked a lot worse in slow mo than it did at full speed. So Maximin's a funny one, isn't he? Because we've we've spoke about him a couple of times in recent weeks, and and he's come off the bench two games, running the Chelsea game and the Everton game, and and, and hasn't really made an awful lot of an impact. Did you think he was any better against Everton than he was against Chelsea? Because George had some had some comments about him against Chelsea where he says he thought the team shape and structure kind of fell apart a little bit when Sir Maximin came on and he has come in for some stick recently from fans and from pundits and stuff like that. What's your thoughts on it at the minute, Chris? Well, I think that we saw the effect that Sam Maximan could have on the opposition because Everton essentially put about three men round him as soon as he came on. And so that the problem was that then Newcastle, or at least Sam Maximan himself and the rest of his teammates, didn't use that to their advantage because that, in theory, means there's going to be space elsewhere, particularly when you're against 10 men. And Newcastle didn't manage to get the ball elsewhere on the field. I didn't think Sam Maximan released it well enough as well in, in that front. So it's it's a difficult one because he hasn't... How revealed after the game, he'd only trained twice in four weeks, essentially. He'd been carrying this muscular injury and then he also had an illness so he hasn't been around that much you can see he's not 100% match fit and hopefully this break can give him just what he needs and allow him to get back to full speed because when we're saying that Newcastle lacks something in attack Alan Saint-Maximin would give them so much more the problem is off the ball 
you do have to make allowances for the fact that he isn't going to work as hard as some of the others and you do need Chris Wood or whoever it is to cover in on the left-hand side to, 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 to make sure that that defensive work is there because that's the one thing that you lack when he comes on and so it's it, it's tough. I, th- I think that there was huge expectation on him coming off the bench against Chelsea and then against Everton that, that this can be the man who can change the match. It didn't quite work out like that and I do think... He is a maverick, and he he is he is that flair player. So you are going to get very frustrating moments from, him, and there were very frustrating moments from. Him. And I know hearing accounts from people in the away end that they were very frustrated with the way when he came on and and and, and what he did. But equally, he was the one player who maybe would have created a moment that Nick could have allowed Newcastle to win it because they hadn't looked like doing it without them. This is it, isn't it? He's he's one of those few players that we have that can actually get your pulse raised and, and get people off their seats and he can run at defenders and we have players who are fast but not particularly skillful. Um, you know, I think of Miggy Almiron, he, he created a great chance in the first uh, in the start of the second half when he was running directly at, at Everton's defence the first time that really Newcastle got a clear cut chance like that. But he doesn't do it in a way that instantly makes defenders take a few steps back from him or they don't double up on him, you know. So it's just that sort of element of surprise that he gives you. But I do think teams are starting to wise up to the way he plays and they know that if they put a couple of players on him, we don't have enough other outlets for the ball to go somewhere else in order to create something. So it feels almost like it's an easy win for a defender. Is You know, we double up on him, they're going to still give him the ball and we'll get it back off him eventually. I do think some of the criticism he's had recently has been a little bit unfair we're almost too expectant of these players to be able to do this every week and switch it on like a tap where it's not like that is it for footballers it, it, it can be a mindset thing a confidence thing it could be a sharp a match sharpness thing you know you can't just expect Alanson Maximin to be the best Alanson Maximin straight away as soon as he comes back into the game I also think for his teammates it's a very different match when you're playing with Alan Sam Maxman in the team when you're not playing with him in the team and so therefore I do think sometimes they're the whole team and probably Sam Maxim himself getting this sort of retreat in that mindset of well give Alan the ball in, in in our own half and hope he does something and really that all needs to be what was working either side of Christmas with, with Sam Maximum was he was getting the ball higher up the pitch he wasn't having to carry it as far so when he was carrying it he was able to be far more effective but if you look at Fully fit and on form, Newcastle starting eleven. Alan Sat Maximan is in it because he, no, he has can to do be, something yeah. other Absolutely. players can't, and so it's about trying to get him back up to that shape for the final nine games of the season, so that he can potentially provide a, a three point somewhere where Newcastle are going to need it just to, to finally secure safety. Yeah, another debate amongst fans as well at the minute is Chris Wood. Um, obviously, he got his goal against Southampton, and, and we were absolutely delighted for him, and uh, and it was a great header. Um, and he's still not quite uh, hitting the heights as he that we need him to, and he's just the one goal in in however many performances it is. Um, it's an interesting one this because. I know Newcastle fans love a number nine and we love a striker, a big lad who can hammer the ball in the net. Uh, But he's doing more than just playing as a striker, isn't he, Chris? At the minute, he's actually kind of changing the way that Newcastle play and his hold-up play is being good, the way he chases the ball down and stuff like that. But obviously, as we know, strikers are going to get judged on the goals they score. Yeah, they will. And it's strange because there's almost a situation at the moment where non-goal scoring strikers are almost in vogue 
um, in terms of because the, because the, of what they can bring all round, and it's about other players stepping up and scoring. And that's where if Chris Wood, Chris Wood is going to be the focal point of Newcastle's team, really they need goals coming from elsewhere, and they did have that for a period, but not really. They haven't got prolific players in other positions other than Joe Willick. You don't look around the team and think they're likely to score a lot of goals. Fraser might chip in, chip in with a few here and there. Joe Linton obviously got one the other week, but there's not loads of goals in that team, and that's why the focus comes back to Chris Wood, particularly when it doesn't work. And if Newcastle Castle's form hasn't been as good. There would have been far more scrutiny, I'm sure, on Chris Wood not scoring uh, or only scoring once in, in his appearances so far. But the team does operate around him. He gives them a focal point. I think that you saw that with Everton, that when Calvert-Lewin came on, suddenly they looked a lot more dangerous because they had a focal point. They had someone to play off. And obviously that's where the goal came from. Defensive errors from Newcastle. Dan Byrne comes up too high. Newcastle give it away in midfield. A bit all over the place. But equally... It's Calvert-Lewin to, to get the ball and then play it back to, to Alex Awobi. You get that with Chris Wood. I thought he was frustrating at times the other night. There was points where he looked good. There was points where the ball didn't stick as much and he wasn't quite doing the link-up play. But he also leads the press. How likes what he does tactically. He brings other players into the match. He's quite often the only player who's who's up top for Newcastle, trying to trying to hurry, trying to... And then he also, as we said before, can cover for St. Maximan defensively. If St. Maximan plays covering on the left-hand side and essentially become like a left forward in that situation so yes it's it's he, he could de- he desperately needs more goals we hope that the goal at Southampton would, would would bring a flurry it hasn't worked like that necessarily had two tough games since then but hopefully again this international break Newcastle can work hard with him and, and, and the other players that they have there and come back refreshed and to try and get him a few more goals and create more opportunities in general Newcastle themselves I mean they had 17 shots at Everton but Basically, most of those shots are from distance, so we'll go nowhere near. Really, they're not creating enough opportunities from him. He's not getting well enough into those positions. Howe says that he isn't going to drop him, that he likes what he's bringing. But equally, I do think that Newcastle just need to, 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 to create more of a threat themselves. And then that, in, in turn, should bring more opportunities and therefore more goals for Chris Wood. And in an interesting parallel of uh, life imitating art, or shall we say sport imitating another sport, uh, a runner uh, with the name of Christopher Wood ran in the Coral Cup handicap hurdle at Cheltenham last Wednesday. Did you see this, Chris? I did not, know. Christopher Wood. A couple of people I noticed on Twitter put some money on him, and actually, because it was paying out, uh, I think it was three or four places, they actually made a little bit of money off him. this pair together, slogging it out as they race to the line. Fast or slow, and Commander Fleet, Commander Fleet, fast or slow. Ashdale Bob behind those, Cambron is next, and then Maze Runner followed by the black and red colours of Christopher Wood was behind those. Apparently the horse put in a gutsy run, but made a mistake three out. Uh, sounds quite familiar, doesn't it, Chris Wood? <laughs> it is, was, was, he, was he a giant kiwi or was he a different type of fruit as well? Or was it... <laughs> I'm not sure if giant kiwis uh, are allowed to take part in Cheltenham, Chris, but I will email them and find out for you, OK? Right, we'll be back in just a second with a little injury update and some of your questions from the real-time feed on the Athletic app. See you in a bit. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right, Chris, as always, well, not always, but sometimes, as sometimes, you can't say that, that's not a thing, is it? <laughs> it, it is a thing now, it is now, it is now. Okay, a thing right, the, well, let's go with that. So, Chris, as sometimes, <laughs> we've put out a call for uh, for questions on the uh, the Twitter feed, uh, the real-time section of the Athletic app. Somebody, I think somebody flew one in via carrier pigeon, somebody's written one on a piece of paper and sellotaped it to a dog and it's found its way to us eventually. Uh, we have got a load of questions in from the dear listeners. Very first one, though, is from Thomas F. And his question is, what is the injury latest with Callum Wilson and Trippier? Obviously, there was a nice picture of Callum Wilson uh, on the uh, on the club's official Twitter feed uh, last week, which I replied to or quote tweeted, I can't remember, and then uh, was, was named as journalist Taylor Payne by a website. Did you see this, Chris? I always knew I, I was a journalist deep down. Yeah, well, finally we have a journalist on Pot on the Tine, which is just, just it's welcome, it's welcome, blessed relief that we finally do. So, uh, just to clarify, the bit of journalism that I did for that particular photo was me saying, "My God, sweet baby Jesus, what a specimen this man is." <laughs> the Athletics six-pack correspondent there, Taylor. Yeah. Anyway, Callum Wilson's injury. I mean, he looks pretty good. So, how far away is he? Well, Callum Wilson and Q and Trippier have gone out to Dubai, where Newcastle are on their six-day warm-weather training camp, and hopefully both are edging towards a return. Callum Wilson has been back out on the grass. He's training by himself at the moment, but there is a hope that he will be back towards sort of middle to end of April. So I don't think he's likely to be back sort of first game back after the international break. Maybe not even the the first two or three, but maybe towards the middle or end. Uh, I've seen people proposing that maybe sort of Crystal Palace or more likely Norwich sort of around the 23rd of April. So that's a very positive news on that front. As for Kieran Trippier, he has just had his protective boot off, but he's still walking with crutches. So he's not quite as close as Callum Wilson. Um, although, again, there is hope that he could be back sort of before the end of April, potentially. It might be a little bit longer for Kieran Trippier, that one. Uh, just have to wait and see how his foot reacts once he does start getting back out on the grass. But both positive updates on those fronts. Uh, but also other squad members um, who aren't even in the 25-man squad have gone out to... Uh, Dubai as well so Isaac Hayden who's been injured is out there with the team as well he's been back in the gym in recent weeks and is hoping to get back out on the grass imminently then also Kieran Clark who's not on the 25-man squad has also gone so in terms of the hope that 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 Kieran Trippier and Callum Wilson will be back soon it is looking like they are edging towards being back so let's hope that there aren't any uh, setbacks in the coming weeks that we do see both of them potentially by the end of April. That's good news. It'll be lovely to see them both before the end of the season, hopefully, uh, for Newcastle's stress-free running that we have. Um, Okay, Damien B has asked, how many of the players that were given extended contracts by Charnley et al., uh, and that weren't merited, uh, in Damien B's words, obviously, uh, are going to be able to be moved on in the summer? There was a few players on the books now, isn't there, who were given extended deals and stuff like that, Um, and it's going to be difficult to find buyers with the, the wages, isn't there? 
Yeah, I mean, I've, I find this question a little bit difficult to answer directly because uh, then I have to make the assumption of who I think that Damien B is referring to. So what I what I what I will do is I'll I'll think I'll consider the players who aren't necessarily in the starting eleven at the moment and who have a decent spell left on the contract. So, um, for example. Uh, you, you look at, and this is certainly isn't, I don't think, someone who Damien B would necessarily be referring to, but someone who does have a, a long contract but isn't even in that 25-man squad is Isaac Hayden. Now, po- part of the reason for that is that he's injured, but equally, I think that given the, the midfield options Newcastle have, given that Joe Linton's moved into midfield position, given that Bruno Gimmeresh signed in, in January, given that they are looking for another midfielder this summer, I think there's a decent chance that Isaac Hayden is going to be moved on this summer. And he has quite a long contract, but has the has his injury status affected uh, his potential value? It probably has to a certain degree, so that, that may prove more difficult to move him on for maybe the financial worth that Newcastle would think he would be worth if he hadn't been injured. So he's one example of that. Kieran Clark should be easier to move on in terms of he's come towards the end of his deal. Dwight Gale will be, will be more difficult. Another two years potentially left on his deal on significant money has barely featured under Eddie Howe. He did make a, he did come on for a final few minutes of uh, the last couple of, couple of matches, but equally I think he's played less than 20 minutes in all since Eddie Howe came in despite being fit. So he is someone who is going to be difficult to move on. You can go through various positions. I mean, not 100% sure what's going to happen centre-back-wise long-term, but, but Jamal Lascelles, the captain, has another f- couple of years left on. Obviously, he's not first choice at the moment, but he did play when they were in the back three at Chelsea. Carl Darlow has another couple of years left on his contract, so there's someone there as well. There's various different positions you can go through, and as, as Damien's alluding to, basically what Newcastle did for the last sort of 18 months, two years of Mike Ashley's time, or basically the whole time Steve Bruce was there, really, was extend the contracts of players who... Um, will probably bring in diminishing returns, but was cheaper to extend their contracts than it was to sign potential replacements of equivalence or better. And so Newcastle always are probably going to lose thinking us, aren't we? Always looking <laughs> forward. <laughs> well, ex- exactly, yeah. And it, it just God. it just about got Mike Ashley uh, to, to leave with, with Newcastle still a Premier League club, although certainly when he left, it looked like they were hurtling towards the championship. And so, yes, it is going to be a difficult summer in that regard in terms of Eddie Howe will want to reshape the squad and there are certain positions. Matt Ritchie, another one who you think probably has come to a stage where he probably needs to, or probably may well, may well be moved on. But again, it's these players are on decent financial packages and um, maybe there may have to be some deals struck with them, or uh, those. It depends. It depends how keen the players are to go and play themselves as well. I imagine someone like Isaac Hayden is determined to go and play, and so is willing to to go out. Whereas others may maybe not so much. So yeah, Jeff Hendrick, another one who seemingly doesn't have a future at Newcastle, but has a long contract still. So yes, difficult, difficult situation. I can't give any more specifics on that yet because part of the partly over this international break and beyond. What Eddie Howe and Newcastle are doing as well is assessing the squad and seeing who he wants to keep and who he wants to move on to. Cisco was he says he still got a contract. I think I think it expires with their Pardew's long term contract as well. So. <laughs> How long's left on that now? There can't be long left on that now, surely. I think oh. it's finally expired. I think. Do you think it's, it's done now? I think it's done. Yeah. I think it's done. Eventually, I can sleep at night. Anyway, uh, right. So Peter C has also asked, which realistic uh, player would you break the bank for in the summer? Uh, and I think part of this is in reference to the ridiculous Neymar rumour which was doing the rounds uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, or just this week actually uh, yeah so which which realistic player would you break the bank for in the summer Chris I think this is more of a somebody's asking your personal opinion on this rather than what do you know yes but which which player would you break the bank for I mean a, a strike force of Neymar and Chris Wood would be interesting uh. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's incredible, yeah. Well, I'll answer it as well, Taylor. But why don't you? Why don't you go first with who would yours be as a, as a fan? If you, if you, I mean, obviously you really want to go unrealistic. But let's let's say quote unquote realistic. Who would who would you quote unquote realistic? Um, in the Premier League, there's a few players that I like the look of. One of those I we've seen very recently uh, play against us, and that is Ziyech at Chelsea. I like him. I like him. I think he's a great little player, and he's got a left foot that could carve a turkey. It is brilliant. Um, I do like him. Which is what you want in a right That's exactly game. what you want, isn't it? That's what you want, a left foot that could carve a turkey. Get him round at Christmas. There you go, Hakim. Crack on. Um, yeah, I like him. Um, I, I, I do think we need a striker. I think there's there's got to be a striker out there. Uh, who fits the mould of the way Eddie Howe wants to play. I'm not entirely sure that it's Callum Wilson. I have to be honest. And I think Newcastle will be looking to bring in a striker. And Chris Wood is almost like a make-way, like a stopgap kind of striker, isn't he? You don't, he's, he's not the long-term future of the club. But I don't know. I genuinely don't know. It, and it, all, it always depends on who's available. If we're going unrealistic, if we can go unrealistic for a second, Chris, yeah, Marlon Harewood. <laughs> <laughs> Marlon Howard and James Pitch. Just, well, you just want you just want the you just going just back. Get the whole band back. Ba- get the band back together. Zurab Kizanishvili, uh, Fitz Hall. <laughs> That's who you need for an assault on Fabrice the Champions League Pankrat. position. Get them um, all back. I mean, in terms in terms of who who I would go for, I agree. I think it has to be a striker because I think Newcastle desperately need one. Callum Wilson. I think the problem with Callum Wilson is his injury record. I think he's a very good player, but his injury. They Newcastle need another frontline centre forward because I don't think you can you can rely on Callum Wilson to be fit for more than two thirds of the season. And if you have real ambitions to start pushing up the table, then you need some someone there. So I think that they need someone alongside Callum Wilson or to compete with him. Um, someone who Newcastle have liked for a long while. So I suppose there is information in this, but not necessarily that I say they're definitely going to sign this summer. But but Darwin Nunes, who scored the winner for Benfica against Ajax in the Champions League on uh, Wednesday. He is someone Newcastle, certainly Steve Nixon, the head of recruitment, has liked for a long while. They watched a lot. I think there was almost surprise in January that they didn't make a bid in the end because there there was a lot. There's been a lot of interest. Uh, they've watched them extensively. Um, obviously, like anyone, you bring it on, bring it in from, from Portugal or somewhere. That there is a risk as to how quickly you will adapt the Premier League. He's also liked by a lot of clubs, a lot of int- rival interest. West Ham was seriously interested in January, but some 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 big clubs around Europe are interested as well. But he's he may be someone like that. I don't know. I don't know if he's the exact player Eddie Howe wants. It may turn out to be someone else. But I do, do you think he's the kind of player that would fit the style of football Eddie Howe wants to play. Well, I think so. I mean, I don't think that the style and Howe himself said this. The way that Newcastle played over the course of the last. few few months is not how he wants to play longer term and they need to, to create more chances they need to score more goals and it was basically needs must and there was a pragmatism about the way they're playing so Nunes is, is, is record at both uh, in Portugal and in the Champions League is is, is, is exceptional and so it, w- it may take him time to adapt but that's sort of a, someone who has that goal scoring sort of pedigree Newcastle need desperately need more goals into the team and so someone like that whether whether he is the answer whether Newcastle decide it's someone else I'm not sure but I do think that this summer the focus has to be the top priority has to be on a forward of some form who is going to bring goals Absolutely um, JP has asked uh, is it PIF's intention to incorporate Newcastle United into a city group style network of clubs if so have there been any clubs touted as potential partner clubs for Newcastle in terms of whether it's their intention there has been a lot of rumours that it's their intention that's never been confirmed on the record by anyone 
Um, and the, one of the clubs who's touted as a potential partner or has been touted as someone that the PIF were going to try and buy were into Milan in Italy. That has been denied by various uh, people uh, in and around the consortium. And uh, obviously, because a lot of Newcastle fans have concern there that if that happened, would that because there'd be a conflict of interest in terms yeah, of if, if they both the, played in the Champions League or something like that, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're not allowed to have owners who's when you face each other directly, so it's not something where they're at that, that stage yet. I, I, I think realistically, if they really want one of the benefits, and if you listen to someone like Kieran Maguire on his excellent Price of Football podcast, he explains this far better than I will now. But one of the benefits of having a city-style group is that you can spread costs. And essentially, because you have a several groups, you, for, you, you can make sure... It basically helps you with FFP and it helps you with various other different elements. If you can share resources, you can share costs, you can share scouting networks, you can even use clubs in other countries as almost... Uh, you can use it to train up players to then maybe come across and see where they're going to be good enough to come into the Premier League. So I, I think that it's something that they will be exploring, but we're not at the stage yet, I don't think, where they're imminently going to announce other clubs. I mean, Man City, the City group did that once City was established, at least to a certain extent. And I think that you need that sort of solid base at Newcastle. There's so much to do at Newcastle first before I think you can really bring in those other groups into the group. So I don't think it's necessarily imminent, but it would sort of make sense longer term. And there have been suggestions, but nothing confirmed on the record. Yeah, I mean, before we do any of that, we need a training ground that doesn't look like it was built from inside of a kinder egg, don't we? You know what I mean? That would be the first one. <laughs> we need that before we need a feeder club, let's be honest. I've not had a kinder egg in years. <laughs> a kinder egg? Oh, mate, yeah. how are they? They're not just for kids, you know. They're not just for kids. Is that is that how they advertise them? Not their slogan. That's how they advertise them to me, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do you want a small plastic model of a, a a boat? Yes, I do. But I also want chocolate. So give us it. Um, <laughs> right. Simon Day has asked: After the Everton defeat, are we still confident that we can stay up? Our games are tough now until the end of the season. I had a look at this before. We have got a difficult running, but also so have a lot of those other teams down in that bottom half of the table. What do we reckon, Chris? Is it uh, we've still got a pretty decent chance, haven't we? I think out of all of those teams down there, we're probably in the best position. I think they have a very good chance. Yeah. I mean, I've spoken to a few fans who've shared similar sort of concerns and I think there was a lot of thought that if Newcastle beat Everton then they would just about be safe and, and they would have been they're not mathematically safe yet not by any stretch of, of the imagination but what they've done very well as well as, as accumulating the points to get the 31 points at this stage is they've put teams between them and the relegation zone so Brentford, Leeds and Everton are between Newcastle and the relegation zone yes Everton have two games in hand yes Burnley in, in 19th have two games in hand but Burnley have won three matches all season. They have to win four matches to get ahead of Newcastle, four further matches to get ahead of Newcastle because there's, there's a 10-point gap. Watford uh, have wins in them. They're, that's one thing I would say about Watford. But equally, they they are they have to get three wins just to come level with Newcastle points-wise. I just think there are too many teams now between them and the bottom three. I also don't see the bottom three or even the bottom five really picking up enough wins to, to leapfrog Newcastle. Um, it would take a run similar to Newcastle's own run, which I don't see other teams doing. So I, I understand the concern, and inter- and if they were to go to, to Spurs and lose heavily, then I think a lot of there would be trepidation again. There would become pressure on the Wolves and Leicester home games. But I I don't see Newcastle going down. It was concerning the second half against Everton, but as I say, it came on the back of a very long run, fatigue, so many different elements. And actually, uh, Adam Leventhal, uh, our Watford correspondent 
in an article today where he looks at all the sort of relegation candidates still. Uh, from 5.38, their relegation probability prediction has Newcastle as a 4% relegation probability now. Norwich are 99% to go down. Watford 83%, Burnley 52%, Everton 32%, Leeds 22%, and Brentford 7%. So from that and from everything I've seen, I don't see Newcastle United going down from this position. It's easy for me to say that when we it, it looks like they probably will survive from this position. But equally, I just don't have that sort of sense of jeopardy that did a few months ago. I didn't think I'd be saying this with nine games to go, that I'd be saying with confidence Newcastle United will survive. But I do, I, I, I don't see them going down now. Good stuff. Uh, last one from Michael B. Uh, sorry to be unoriginal, but any update on CEO and Dan Ashworth is always welcome. We've spoke about this recently, haven't we, Chris? And we did we did nearly half an hour on Dan Ashworth in a recent episode. But what is there any update on where this is? Yeah, I mean, the short answer on Dan Ashworth is that they did hope it was going to be done by the end of February. And if you listen back to, to that previous podcast, that basically the reason why it hasn't been done yet is that Newcastle and Brighton have yet to agree a financial package to release him from his gardener leave. And at the moment, he's still on gardener leave, tending to his dahlias, or I don't know what I don't know what you do on gardener leave. He must have put a pond in or something like that. Definitely put a pond in. Absolutely, a water feature, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that one is still stuck in that sort of situation. Newcastle's still confident it'll happen, but but equally, he isn't in position yet. CEO-wise, that was always going to be a little bit after Dan Ashworth. Again, that hasn't taken, that hasn't gone quite as quickly as they would have wanted. That's mainly, I'm told, to do with sort of diary issues in terms of getting interviews sorted and, 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 and basically the timing of, of getting all the elements of the consortium together, particularly PIF's chairman, Yasser Al-Ramayan, who is also Newcastle United's chairman. Um, and I'm told that they are making progress on that front, though, that there was a sort of quote-unquote long shortlist for want of a less... Uh, for a term that isn't an oxymoron as that is, but um, that that was given to to the board and to to Al Romine, and I think that has been narrowed down, and so I think that down the final few candidates, our understanding is that at least throughout the process there have been current Premier League CEOs as well as former Premier League CEOs involved. At least some of them are now no longer in the running. There are definitely some of the final candidates are from without foot from outside of football and the world of business instead. But exactly who it's going to be, uh, they still have yet to decide who the final candidate is going to be. So it has been a search has been conducted externally by an external firm, but the final decision is going to be made by the board, and the ultimate say will be by Yasser Al Ramayan as, as 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 chairman of the of the of the board and as as the majority stakeholder. Okay, good stuff. Um, and an interesting one just to finish off on after our sort of long and weighty discussion last week on various uh, geopolitical incidents and happenings around the world at the minute and how it affects our uh, team and, and us as football fans. Uh, following on from our discussion uh, of the Chelsea game, uh, thanks to Richard R for getting in touch. And he said, after many periods of feeling conflicted about the new Newcastle owners and having kind of come to terms with it, I have had a very uncomfortable feelings of guilt about our ownership since the war in Ukraine. Can the pause suggest ways we as fans can still support the club and separate the guilt from knowing where a lot of the club's funding comes from? I have thought about donating to a Yemen charity appeal every time I watch the tune, uh, but I'm not sure that's enough. I don't want to lose my club, but I'm struggling with it at the moment. Um, I recognise these feelings and I recognise this from a, a number of fans. 
Uh, I've heard this this sort of thing said a lot, um, and I completely understand where Richard's coming from, and there has been a lot of soul-searching from a lot of fans uh, in, in the recent months. Obviously, it's uh, it's not something that was under discussion today, uh, but the sentiment was echoed by other commenters in the real-time chat, and it's hopefully something that we can have another look, proper look at in the summer. Yeah, I mean, I'd echo that as well. We spoke about this the podcast last week, and I, over the course of the last few weeks in particular, have had these sort of internal debates in my own mind as well as I did when the takeover first happened and, and I've continued to but they have come into to starker focus over the course of the, of the last couple of weeks and so yeah I think that we there will be a point where we will discuss this again and yeah thank, thanks Richard for, for your comments and, and for those who, who replied to that as well because I, I know it is something that a lot of fans and, and subscribers are going through as well. Absolutely. Right then we'll round up everything in just a moment we'll be back in a tick. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. So, the hipsters at Tifo are well and truly on the Joe Linton bandwagon, Chris. Uh, and if you don't know who Tifo are, they're an organisation under the Athletics umbrella and they're aimed at the more discerning football fan. This week, they have featured Joe Linton on their YouTube football show. Here's JJ Bull's take on the brilliant Brazilian. So, the things that Joe Linton is bad at are the things that a striker should be good at, and the things he's good at are the things that, I don't know, a kind of creative midfielder would be good at. But he's amazing as a striker at winning the ball back, impressing. That'll have a lot to do with him moving position to midfield, but we can look at him as a midfielder because this is how he compares as a ball-winning midfielder, that's what BWM means. This is crazy. He's basically one of the best midfielders in the world, <laughs> according to the FB ref. Obviously, that's probably not quite true, but his statistics for the season so far, or 365 days, suggest that uh, he is absolutely amazing at winning the ball back, progressing play, just amazing. So Eddie Howe spotted something inside him, and managed to get it out. He's now an amazing player, and Newcastle are a lot better as a result. There's more reasons to why they're good, but Joe Linton is a key one of them. There we go, Chris. Joe Linton uh, gathering fans from all corners of the football communities. He's absolutely found a, a, a real little uh, niche, carved himself out a niche, hasn't he, in that midfield? And he's top of all kinds of stats for pressing and recoveries and all sorts of stuff, and also progressing the ball up the pitch as well. Uh, incredible turnaround, and, and, and great to see his, uh, his play broken down like that as well. Yeah, and I will be doing a piece uh, this week in conjunction with our data team, sort of looking at that and in comp- basically basically comparing him to other midfielders uh, in that sort of mould and how good actually is he relative to other midfielders. Is, does he just look brilliant because Newcastle haven't had a play in that mould or is he is he very good? And so that will be out at some point this week. But no, I thought it was very 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 very, very good video. The only disappointment I had 
was that JJ was not wearing a, a Hawaiian shirt with Joe Linton faces on it. I thought that was, you know, a bit of an oversight on his part. But equally, uh, maybe he just didn't arrive in time to be able to do it. Because the, the, the title of it is headlined, Is Joe Linton the Best Midfielder in the World? And the reason it is, it's not, it is hyperbolic, but the reason it's also in there is that on, on the form of the last few weeks, his stats rank with any holding midfielder in the world that's it's how amazing, isn't it? impressive he's been yeah it's just Chris it's man listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth <laughs> it's fucking mad <laughs> I, know, I know is Joe Linton the best midfielder in the world I know I know yeah, yeah. Just 40 oh million pounds god what has happened they've got a, they've got 74 million pounds with the Brazilian midfielders now uh, it's just astonishing Absolutely but ridiculous. this this one isn't even in the Brazil squad, whereas obviously Bruno Guimaraes will be. Give it time. Soon, soon, Chris, Brazil will be playing three in the middle. They'll be playing Bruno and Joe Linton will play both sides of him. That's what that's what will happen. <laughs> <laughs> he will be a one-man double pivot. <laughs> it's like, but could you... It's, I mean, you just got to compare him to the previous Brazilian midfielders because I've had Fumaca. I mean, do you remember Fumaca? That was, oh, that he was couldn't like trap a bag of cement, that lad, could he? <laughs> and he that was, was that, un- that <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Let's not remember Fumaca. I'd rather not. My God. Yeah. Finally, a bonus question from Vauta N. Uh, Chris Wood has done all right so far, but surely is not undroppable. If Wilson is still going to be out for a few weeks, would you consider dropping Wood and playing Joe Linton as a nine and a half? What's a nine and a half? Is that like a false nine? Is that? Do you think that's what he's referring to? I think I think that's a sort nine of what and he's a half. It might be referring to a false ten. Steve Bruce's false tens potentially. Um, the problem with it is, I, I think that Joe Linton, when he has played further forward, is better when he's with someone. And so, if it was to do that, I think I think maybe playing Joe Linton alongside Wood or just off Wood potentially. But as we've just been saying about how successful he's been in midfield, we can't move him now because yeah, he's the best like, midfielder in the world. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I mean, how essentially it was to a degree he was rushed back. He wasn't rushed back because he was fit. He was fit, but equally, it would it, he he wasn't. He, he's still been carrying this groin injury for a long while. And against Everton, if he wasn't seen as so vital, I don't think he would have started. I think Howe would have given a little bit more time. And so I don't think Howe won to remove him from that position because he's seen him as being so crucial to Newcastle's recent form so as I say Howe has no intention of dropping Chris Wood I don't see Chris Wood being taken out of the team in the short term and I I certainly don't see it being to, to move Joe Linton up front. He doesn't seem to fancy Dwight Gale at all. He certainly doesn't seem as a direct alternative to Chris Wood, so I think he's going to persist. Whether he changes from 4-3-3 to a different system, to a 4-2-3-1 or something, to try and get extra support, that might be a different matter. Against the likes of Liverpool and Man City, I suppose that there's a chance that he'll play Alan Saint-Maximan as a, as a sort of false nine again, as, as, as he did away at Anfield, that's a possibility, but I, I don't see him dropping Wood and playing Joe Linton in the, in, in the front line. I, I don't think that's, that would necessarily work. I think he'd lose too much from what he would bring elsewhere. Fair dues. And just before we uh, we finish up as well, Matty Longstaff's got a few goals recently, hasn't he, on, at Mansfield on loan? Was it three and three he's got now? Three and five. Well, I th- three and five. I think it, was th- it was three and three, but I think it's three and five altogether. Right, okay, so, not bad. Uh, but he's 22 today. Happy birthday, Matty. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, hopefully, yeah, rebuilding his his career a little bit in terms of he, he went there after a difficult spell at Aberdeen and it's been a it's been after the highs of when he first broke into the Newcastle United team obviously had a, had a difficult time where he didn't play very much at all and really he went there because you don't I think he'd only played twenty five 
uh, actual league senior matches in his career by the time he went there, and that's why he just needed to play football. So good to see him doing well there, and hopefully uh, he, it can get him a, a higher loan move for next season. Absolutely. Uh, and Elliot Anderson as well, doing great things at Bristol City, pulling up trees and generally impressing everybody who he comes into contact with. Uh, manager Joey Barton agreed that the young Scott is a talent. Yeah, huge. Um, I've been listening a lot to, to Bill Shankly in, in the last couple of days, uh, certainly this afternoon. I had about four hours listening to different talks and listening to talk about football and not much has really changed. You know, the, the simple concept of football and what it takes and players' size and players' heights. And in there he talks about a 19-year-old Diego Maradona and he's talking about how good of a player he thinks he's going to be. And he compares him to Tom Finney. And he says Tom Finney's the greatest player he's ever seen. When a man like Bill Shankly says that, you know, you have to you have to take notice. And he spoke about Tom Finney's ability to be able to beat you with his back to goal, beat you with his, when he's on the side. And he said the difference with Tom was when he faced you up and looked at you, he could also take you on. But then when he got in and around the penalty area... He slowed down and he was mega calculated. And when I see young Billy Elliot, I'm not comparing him. You know, it's far too early to compare him to to those greats over the years. But he, you know, he certainly excites you. And you know, the goal he scores tonight, as I say, you know, it ends up being the match winner. But his his overall performance, I thought he was a real standout performer. You know, on the park tonight, and and that was in the midst of some great players. You know, there's some good performances and good players out there. But I thought tonight he's shown a different a different gear, another level. Yeah, Elliot Anderson's doing some great stuff, Chris, isn't he? Knocking goals in, setting up uh, other goals and just generally being fantastic. And people at, uh, at Bristol are absolutely raving about the lad. Yeah, I mean, Joey Barton, I think, feels that they got lucky with, with getting Anderson because he, he said a few weeks ago that they'd actually tried to sign a different player and he ended up getting someone better in Elliot Anderson. And really, I mean... The, the, as 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 I've said before, Luton Town that loan deal was basically in place for the best part of a year. It was in place for the majority of January, but Eddie Howe didn't want to let him go until he had players coming back from from COVID and signed through the door. But in case he was going to be needed to feature, because he, he featured on the bench a fair bit along with with Joe White. By the time he he was go he was free to to be released. Luton actually had injuries elsewhere, needed a defender, and then also needed to offload players before he went there. And so in the end, there were options in League One. But Joey Barton, through his contacts at Newcastle, obviously former teammate Shola Miobi, who's the loan coordinator, and also um, Steve Harper, who's who's the head of the academy, he spoke to them and, and pushed the case for Elliot Anderson. Now, Howe himself basically said that League 2 is, isn't high enough a level for where he thinks that, that Elliot Anderson should be playing. Ideally, you would like him to be higher, but he's doing very well there. He's getting regular first-team football, which is what he's needed, and he's scored some cracking goals and really has... By all accounts, impressed in just about every match. As you watch his highlights, he really looks very, very good. And Joey Barton continues to, to yeah, Joey Barton continues to wax lyrical about him. So hopefully, again, for like did a, he compare him to Maradona? He did. Yes, it was. It was. It was. It was <laughs> not a, one for hyperbole, Joey Barton, yes, is he? Let's exactly, be honest. Exactly. Uh, a uh, little bit tongue in cheek, I think. But equally, yeah. just sort of so the, the way he was sort of chatting about him. But the, the, again, for Elliot Anderson, hopefully. And I've heard that there is already a lot of interest for, in him for next season from higher up levels. I've heard championship clubs are already trying to trying to put the hat in the ring to get him for next season because he, he is very talented. He is someone who Newcastle have very high hopes for. Absolutely. And speaking of birthdays and Bartons, uh, many happy returns to friend of the show, 
former Pod on the Tyne guest and owner of the most immaculate centre part the Premier League has ever seen, Mr Warren Barton. Happy birthday, Warren, from everybody at Pod on the Tyne. I hope you're doing well uh, and I'm sure your tan is as immaculate as it was the time that you graced our podcast not so long ago. Um, also, before we wrap up, Chris, as anticipated, the FA have charged Isaac Hayden uh, for his uh, against 12 men tweet from the Everton game. Uh, Chelsea game, sorry, not the Everton game. Uh, and here is the little statement, regulation and discipline update. Newcastle United's FC's Isaac Hayden has been charged with a breach of FA rule E3.1. Hmm, it is a tricky one, that one. Uh, following their Premier League game against Chelsea on Sunday, 13th of March 2022. It was alleged the midfielder's comments on social media after the game constitute improper conduct as they attack the integrity of the match official and or are personally offensive and or bring the game into disrepute. Isaac Hayden has until Wednesday, the 23rd of March 2022, to provide a response. Chris, it's almost like you can't infer the referee was biased against one team anymore, is it, without getting in trouble? It's ridiculous. It is. I mean, Hayden himself may argue that he was talking about Chelsea fans. He may argue about talking about... No, he wasn't, Chris, though, was he? He was talking well, about I mean, the referee. Well, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure that, I'm sure that will feature in, in, in his, in his defence when he speaks to them. Um, I understand. I know a lot of Newcastle fans are kicking off and saying that that, that uh, really it should be the VAR and the officials themselves who need to take a look at themselves. And, and I agree in that respect, but equally, I think the FA, if the FA see that as being what he meant, I think the FA, by their own rules, have to sort of take action. So I, 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 I sort of see this one from, from both sides to a certain extent. I think I think Hayden will try and defend himself, but whether he's going to get off, I, I I would be doubtful because I think that a lot of people felt that that was that was quite a pointed message. So I, hope, I just hope the punishment fits the crime. I hope he gets two weeks community service, rake and leaves out of Shore Army Orby's garden. I think I'd like to see him get that. Anyway. Uh, that's it, Chris. It's been all right, hasn't it? Just me and you. It's been quite nice this week. Nice and uplifting. The mood's been quite sort of buoyant, even though we come off the back of a loss. Have you enjoyed it? Just me and you. Just the two. Just the two of us. You and I. Have you enjoyed it, Chris? I have enjoyed it, yeah. I just have this feeling now that, that when George returns next week, it's going to be with a renewed sense of sort of negativity. I just feel, you know. <laughs> I've never heard that before. A renewed sense of negativity. <laughs> It's just charged up his batteries of hate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we've, had too, we've had too much joy from recent weeks, and now now they've yeah. lost games. And yeah, I just think I just think yeah, he's going to be just. Somebody angry. actually, somebody stopped me last week when I was I was out work, and then somebody came up and said, "Oh, I've been listening to the podcast. It's been great recently since we've been running. Is George all right?" <laughs> Oh, what well, do you mean? A- he, went, he went because I'm just not used to him being so optimistic. And at one point, he, he kind of just inferred that everything's fine and we should just piss everything and it'll be easy. And and he said, I just hope he's all right. I hope, you know, I just hope he's okay. Well, that's the real reason why he's not on the podcast this week, just because, you know, the joy is overtaken him and he couldn't handle it anymore. So he just had to have the week off. So <laughs> Fair enough. Right then. Let's say to our Chris. And just before we go, don't forget the special offer. You can get a subscription to The Athletic with your first six months at just £1 a month at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Right, Chris, it's time to say bye-bye. You're playing football tonight. I am indeed. Good luck with that. I hope you Thank enjoy you. it. I hope you score some wow, lovely this, goals. Uh, this is weird that you're being nice to me as well. I just, I just don't get this at all. Well, you know, you know, us both sisters have to look after each other, don't we? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Anyway, we shall be back next week uh, with more chat 
on Pod on the Time. Look after yourselves, take care out there, and we'll see you on the other side. Bye-bye. athletic looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events we've got the spot our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years providing a 100% guarantee with every order from a worldwide selection of live events the widest choice of tickets and industry leading partnerships StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence StubHub an official partner of The Athletic.